Well, amen, our plan this morning was uh, an ordination service, but uh, we found out at the last minute that our ordinee may have been exposed to COVID, so we have been scrambling for the last hour, and uh, if I have walked past you and ignored you, I'm sorry, I had other things on my mind. Hopefully, you're going to survive and you'll be okay. I want to ask you to get your Bibles and open it to the book of the Revelation chapter 20 and verse 11 and we'll be looking at verses 11 and following and then into chapter 21 first nine verses and I want to speak to you on the topic of 30 seconds into eternity now a man went to died and was standing before the judgment of God and God asked him well tell me one thing that you've done in your life that is praiseworthy, anything that you've ever done that's good. And he said, well, I can think of something. And so God said to him, let's hear it. He said, well, I was walking down the street and I saw a little old lady being beaten up by a member of a motorcycle gang. And so I went over there and I kicked him in the shin and I told the lady to run and I punched him in the stomach. And God said to him, when did that happen? He said, about two minutes ago. So, well, we never know when we're going to wake up in eternity. And um, I thought I'd give that to Jim Rucker. Jim, you can embellish it, work on it, and tell it at least 20 times before the month's out. Amen. I'm always helping my friend Jim. So there are lots of jokes about heaven, you know, and you know, we have plenty of them. Most of them are funny because they're not accurate. Uh, that's not the way it's going to work, of course. But the real issue of heaven and hell, it really isn't a laughing matter. I was um, getting a little sun yesterday and I heard a man was with a very loud voice uh, was... At the other end of the pool, you know, Ohio State fan. This was earlier in the day, before the game. And he was talking very loudly and he said something like this. Brothers and sisters, open your Bibles to the first chapter of, and he used an expletive. Oh my goodness. I decided to ignore, my wife looked at me and she's giving the signal like, just don't, just don't. And he laughs real big and the people around him are laughing and he, you know, he's the life of the party. And I thought to myself, I'm going to tell you somebody that's laughing right now. The Bible says in Psalm 2 that God laughs at sinners. God's laughing at his foolishness because God gets the last laugh. 30 seconds into eternity, he will find out. In 30 seconds into eternity, every person on planet earth is going to find himself or herself in one of two places. And for the majority of people, it's going to be the retribution of hell. Look in, if you will, in chapter 21 and verse 11, the Bible says, Then I saw a great white throne in him who was seated on it, from his presence, earth and sky fled away, and no place was found for them. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne. 
and books were opened. Then another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged by what was written in the books, according to what they had done. And the sea gave up the dead who were in it. Death and Hades gave up the dead who were in them. And they were judged, each one of them, according to what they had done. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death, the lake of fire. And if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. Notice also in chapter 21, if you will, and go to verse 8. But as for the cowardly, the faithless, the detestable, as for murderers, the sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars, their portion will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. The retribution of hell. It's the reality for the majority of people who will ever live. 30 seconds into eternity, that's where they will be. Now the scene that you have before you, the great white throne, is not the judgment of the righteous. This is not a judgment to see who will go to heaven and who will go to hell. That has already been determined by their unbelief. This is just God validating his judgment. This is just God justifying himself because on this day no one will be justified. So don't think for a moment that you're going to stand before God at the great white throne. And that you're going to give an adequate answer and he's going to say, oops, I'm sorry, I was mistaken. You can come in. That will never happen. That's not what this is about. We're not going to stand before God and give our answer and then God's going to weigh it out. It's already determined. What's determined here is proof. That God is right in his judgment. That's what's being determined here. No sinner will be justified. It's God who's being justified in his judgment. We find this about hell, that it's a place of eternal sensation. If you noticed in verse 15, it's called the lake of fire. The Bible says this, that the Son of Man will send his angels. And they will gather out of his kingdom all causes of sin and all lawbreakers. And throw them into the fiery furnace. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. My friend, it is a place of eternal sensation. You will never, ever get used to it. If you remember the story of the rich man and Lazarus, and the rich man was in hell, and the Bible says he lifted up his eyes being in torment, and he asked Abraham to send Lazarus with just a drop of water on the tip of his finger and put it on the rich man's tongue that he may have some relief because he said, I am in anguish in this flame. It is a place of eternal sensation. You will never, ever get used to it. The sensations that you will experience, it's a place of relentless fatigue. The Bible says in Revelation 14, 11, and they have no rest day or night. I don't know what happens to the human body when you hit about 50. But there is no rest day or night. I understand now why old people sleep at weird times. Brothers and sisters, if you can get 15 minutes in, go ahead. Those of you 70 and up, go for it. Lord have mercy. To sleep all the way through the night would be a blessing, wouldn't it? But you know what's awful is that when you have things on your mind and you can't get any rest. Have you ever been there? And there's no rest day or night. Those who are in hell... Throughout all of eternity, the words of Christ will be echoing off of the walls of hell. 
And they will hear his voice say, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. But they will not be able to come to him. They should have. Oh, the regret. If only, if only, if only I would have listened to the words of my mom. If only, if only I would have listened to the words of my wife. If only, if only I would have listened to the words of my parents. If only. If only I would have listened to the words of my Sunday school teacher. If only, if only I would have listened to the sermon of the pastor. If only, if only, if only throughout all of eternity there will be the eternal sensation of fatigue and regret. But it's also a place of relentless fire. The Bible tells us that it is the lake of fire. It burns eternally. It's a place of anguish, weeping and gnashing of teeth. It's called a fiery furnace. It's talked about a lake of fire and sulfur. The scripture describes it. It's a place of relentless fire. So this kind of sensation that will be experienced 30 seconds into eternity for the majority of humanity. Is a place of eternal sensation. But it's also a place of eternal separation. In verse 8 you'll notice that it's called the second death in 21.8. It is the second death. What is death? The first death is the separation of the soul from the body. The second death is the separation of the soul from God for all of eternity. To be separated from God is to be separated from all that is good. Even the criminal wants good. Even the criminal wants the law of God to be applied. Even someone who steals... Wants the law of God to be applied to other people around him so that they don't steal from him. The Bible reminds us that it is God right now who is restraining evil in this world. If it were not for the restraint of God, murderers would break into our congregation even now and murder every one of us. But it is God who is restraining. Many of you have a security system on your home. There's nothing wrong with that. It helps to keep the security company Going, But you ever notice this about those companies? They call for help after it happened. I can do that. Nine millimeters good. Security. Just saying. So, you know, we, we, what's restraining people? Julie and I are amazed living in America. We lived in Africa for a, a period of time and you have to have a wall around your yard. And the wall is five, six feet high. We would sometimes get some cement and break glass and put across the top of it. Then we started growing bougainvillea. Boy, that stopped them. Those things have some briars in them, man. And we grow that over a wall, you know, trying to keep people out. Because here's the rule in Africa. If it ain't inside that wall, it belongs to somebody else. And so there's no, it, it seems like everybody owns everything. Like to have personal property is, is just a tough concept. Things just walk off all the time. And we're amazed being in America like nobody took our mail. I mean, Amazon can drop a box on the porch. I mean, we have porch pirates. That's some people. But a lot of places in the world, everybody's a porch pirate. And we're just amazed, like, restraint. Why aren't people breaking into our cars right now? I mean, every once in a while something like that happens, but not the restraint of God. God restraining people. The evil that people can do. 
is limitless if it were not for the restraining power and work of God. Did you know that restraining power and work is taken away in hell? I've heard people say stupid things like, my friends are going to be there. Yeah, you're evil friends. You're evil friends that will have no restraint. Do you think they're going to have mercy upon you? Do you think you're going to sit around and have a tea party in total darkness and flame? Do you think that's how it's going to work? Really? It's a place of eternal separation. Separation from God. What I'm trying to point out is this. It is only the law of God that allows relationships between humans to even work. If it were not for the law of God and the working of God to restrain people, there could be no human relationships. But the fact of the matter is, in hell, all that's taken away, there are no relationships. There are none. You're alone. Absolutely, eternally alone. A place of eternal separation. That's the retribution of hell. And my friends, the majority of the people who will ever live 30 seconds into eternity... This will be their experience. And Pastor, how, how do you know that? Because broad is the road that leads to destruction. And many there are on it. But narrow is the way that leads to life. And few there are who find it. The retribution of hell. You know what's heartbreaking? Is that a lot of people in America are going to go into hell from church. They will have attended church. They will have somehow gotten their name on a membership roll somehow. Maybe they take up the offering. Maybe they cut the grass. Maybe they even teach Sunday school. Maybe they even preach. And a lot of them are going to find themselves in hell. Why? Because they are living by a system of works. Self-righteousness. I will do enough good and my good will outweigh my bad and God will let me into heaven. The Bible is very clear. Whoever's name is not found written in the book of life will be cast into the lake of fire. The book of life is not earned. It's granted. It's given. By the grace of God. The retribution of hell. Now, I speak forcefully about this topic not because I'm mad at people going to hell. But it's like this. If the building is on fire, you don't have time for polite talk. This is an issue that's ignored, ridiculed, joked about, made fun of, diminished, excused, even from the pulpits in America today. It's a real issue. It's a real topic. It's a real place. And if you scoff at Christ, 30 seconds into eternity, you'll be a believer. The retribution of hell. But there's also the reward of heaven. This is a good part. I love heaven, don't you? This world is not my home. I'm just passing through. 
John said, then I saw a new heaven in chapter 21. And a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. And the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God. Prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people. And God himself. Yeah. Will be with them. As their God. And y'all got sorrows today. And y'all have worries. Heartaches. Disappointments in life. Things just haven't gone as planned. And y'all, everybody I've ever met fit into that category. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, he says. And death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore. For the former things have passed away. There's the reward of heaven. What are heaven's provisions? Verses 1 through 3 show you that. The greatest provision is this. Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. What do we have as a provision here? The blessing of unbroken relationships. That's what verse 3 is about. What causes broken relationship between us and God? Sin. But it's going to be taken away. What causes broken relationship between people? It's sin, but it's going to be taken away. There'll be the blessing of unbroken relationship. Many of you have relationships in your life that have been broken and never been repaired. And you grieve over it. You agonize over it. Any of y'all that are dads, you know how it is. If you're a dad here today, you know this one thing about yourself. You're not a very good parent. And sometimes things don't go well and you don't do everything you ought to do. I've heard many a dad get to the place he's 78 years old or, or more and wish that he had done things differently. A lot of regret. Why? Because relationships go bad. But that will not be the case in heaven. See, you won't ever have the worry in heaven of, I wonder... If I'll lose my friend, I wonder if this relationship won't turn out well. I wonder if that will be taken away. Every relationship will be good. All of them. Why? Because a relationship with God will be right. And if our relationship with God is right, then all the others will be right. There's also the blessing of unhindered worship. And if you look in chapter 21 and jump down to verse 22... The Bible says, and I saw no temple in the city, for its temple is the Lamb, is the Lord God, the Almighty, and the Lamb. The blessing of unhindered worship is talked about there and all through the book of the Revelation. The book of the Revelation is a book of worship. It's a book of worship of Jesus, the praise of Jesus, the conquering King. That's what the book is about. It's not about the Antichrist, by the way. He loses it's not about Satan. He loses. It's not about Russia. Nobody cares. It's not about those things. It's not about the mark of the beast. You don't want the mark of the beast. 
Oh. oh, man, I wish I had a dollar for every dumb question I've been asked about the mark of the beast. I'd be a rich man. Some people are convinced that the COVID vaccine is the mark of the beast. Well, maybe the nurse that gives it to you looks like a beast, but that doesn't mean it's a mark of the beast. They come at you with that needle like they're looking for blood. You know, you... Yeah, this won't hurt at all. You, it won't know. The blessing of unhindered worship. So heaven's provision, what's heaven going to provide for you? All of these things are spoken about here. Yeah. But also there's heaven's preventions. Things that will not be in heaven. Verse 4 speaks of that. All the sorrowful problems will be gone. No more of these things. No more this. No more that. You wipe away every tear. Death will be no more. No more mourning. No crying. No pain. Why? Because the former things have passed away. Not just these issues, but the causes of these issues will be gone. And so these are heaven's preventions, the sorrowful problems of this life and the pain that results from them. All these things will be taken away and they'll be gone. But also this is the sad reality that certain persons will be prevented from being there. If you're looking at chapter 20 of the book of the Revelation, verse 8. But as for the cowardly, I say this all the time, a lot of men will not be in heaven simply because they're cowards. They're more afraid of what their beer drinking buddy's going to say about them than what God says. Cowards. Just a coward. That man the other day at the pool with the big mouth, he's a coward. Covering up his unbelief with a big mouth. Cowardly. Cowardly. Afraid to be identified with Jesus. Cowardly. And it says these people, the faithless, those who don't believe in Christ, the detestable. As for murderers, sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, all liars. If you think you're doing pretty good, you get down to that last one. That's pretty much gets everybody. Their portion will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. Now, let me do say a word about this. You are looking at that list. And if you are a Christian, you've done one or more of those. And you may be asking yourself, oh, dear Lord, does that mean I'm going to hell because I've done these things? Yes, you would. Were it not for the blood of Jesus. You, you, you don't go to heaven because you're good. You go to heaven because he is. He is the righteous one. It is his righteousness applied to your account. You see, when these books are open in heaven and they're looking for works, you, 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 your book's in a different stack. It's thick with good works because it's the works of Jesus that are applied to your account. You see? And it's the Lamb's book of life. He's the owner of the book of life. It means the book that lists the people to whom the Lamb has given life. 
And your name is written there not because your works are good, not because you're not cowardly, not because you've never been faithless, not because you've never been detestable, not because you've never been a murderer, not because you've never been sexually immoral, not because you've never practiced sorcery, not because you've never been an idolater, not because you've never lied, but because he never has. You are in him. And the only way God can judge you if you're a follower of Jesus is he would have to rejudge his son. And I think we sang about it this morning. Jesus says it is finished. Certain persons will not be there though. Look in verse 27 as well. But of chapter 21. But nothing unclean will ever enter it. Nor anyone who does what is detestable or false. But only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. You see, certain persons are going to be prevented from being there. I know I have the same thoughts that you have. I have family members and friends that do not know Jesus. And it is fairly certain that according to their own testimony, their own life and what they say, it's fairly certain that if they died today, they would wake up in hell. And it's a grieving thought to think that I would be in heaven. And they would not be there. And then my mind wants to go to this question then. How can I not be sad in heaven? Let me explain this to you. My friend, my family member is unclean. He is detestable. He's a liar, he's immoral, he's faithless, and he's cowardly. Thank God he won't be there. I don't want that in heaven. I want righteousness. I want holiness. I want purity. I want sinlessness. I want peace more than I want anything else. And if he is not going to get that by coming to Jesus, then he will just have to go to hell and enjoy it. Here's the other thing. At some point in your life, you, you, your heart begins to switch. And you begin to care more about how Jesus feels than about your family or friends feel. And you begin to think thoughts like, how dare they defy Jesus? How dare they belittle him? How dare they reject my friend? How dare they reject my Lord and my King? How dare they do that to him? Who do they think they are? And your attitude begins to change a little bit. And you begin to praise the justice and righteousness of Christ. More than you have some sappy compassion for people that hate him. Well, certain persons will not be there. If you are in heaven, it's by the grace of God. His kindness. He for whatever reason. For whatever reason. He decided on his own God has. Without any input from you. Without any foresight of whatever he, you think you might have done. He decided unilaterally and sovereignly. To call your heart to Jesus. He alone has done that. You didn't do it to yourself. You were dead in trespasses and sins. When you resurrect yourself physically, then I'm going to believe that you decided to follow Jesus on your own. 
Dead people don't make good decisions. God did that. It's to the praise of His glory. Not to the praise of your wit. Or whatever you think you have inside of you. That caused you to believe on Jesus. Some human impulse. Are you kidding me? I think the scripture is clear. That our impulse is only evil continually. Genesis chapter 6. So it's not in us. And if we're there, we have no reason to look at people who did not follow Jesus and act as if we are a superior quality. I know many of you, your ancestry is in Kentucky. You're not of superior quality. Hey, I'm a Tennessean. We always have, you know, it's like cousin battle with Kentucky. It's always an insult battle. Don't be so fragile. I love you anyway, commonwealth. Certain persons, I love Louisville, brother. It's a great, it's a great city. So their portion will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur. So certain persons. What do you do about those certain persons you pray? Just ask God to touch their heart. You share the gospel if you get a chance to do so. Pray for yourself that you'll share it convincingly but lovingly. Show them care and show them concern. But ask God to move on their heart. What do you do about yourself right now? If you think to yourself, I think I'm going to be excluded. You are here. God has given you life. He's given you breath. He's given you an opportunity today. He gives you an opportunity to decide, doesn't he? You have a chance today. You, above all people, have been blessed with an opportunity and with a chance to do something about 30 seconds into eternity. So here's where we come to the last point here. The response of humanity. There are only two responses that are possible. This is a true and false test. It's not multiple choice. The response that you should make is to receive Jesus. That's your response. John 1.12 says, but to all who did receive him. What does it mean to receive him? To believe in his name. What does it mean to believe in his name? To believe that he is the son of God. That he is who he said he is. That he is God in human flesh. And believe what he did. What did he do? He lived a perfect sinless life. And he went to the cross as the substitute sacrifice for sinners. And it was a satisfying sacrifice in heaven. And that God is justified in justifying you. Nobody can bring a charge against God for giving you pardon. Why? Because your sin has already been punished. If you will give your life over to Jesus. It's the great exchange. You give your life, your rotten, wretched, smelly, leprous life to Jesus. And he gives his clean, righteous, holy, pure life to you. It's an exchange. But Jesus warns us, you can't hang on to your old life partially and get him partially and land fully in heaven. It doesn't work that way. To receive Jesus is an all or nothing thing. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, look at what he gives you. He gave the right to become children of God. I have 
two sons. Now, there are a lot of kids that would love to call me their dad. Don't think I couldn't take Watson. It wouldn't take me just five seconds. And don't think you wouldn't give him. I know you would. <laughs> Amen. We do it with Watson. There are a lot of kids in this world that orphaned. A lot of kids in this world living in abusive homes. A lot of kids in this world living in poverty. A lot of kids in this world never hear about Jesus. Their parents don't talk about it. A lot of kids in this world in bad condition, bad shape. They, they'd love to call me their dad. I wouldn't treat them that way. I'd take care of them. I'd get them to church. I'd tell them about Jesus. I'd read them Bible stories at night. But you know what? It can't be. They don't have a right to call me their father. They don't have the right. Only two people in this world have that right. No one else has that right. With Jesus, a lot of people want to call God their father. We're all brothers and sisters in this world. Baloney. Brothers in evil, maybe. Brothers of Satan. But everybody wants to claim God as their father. But I want to tell you something. People do not have a right to call upon him as their father. The only people who have a right to do that are the ones who receive his son. I tell this story sometimes. I have an illustration of sermons that I preach. And I tell about <clears throat> an old man who had one son. The son had a lot of physical problems. A lot of disabilities, disfigurement, not a very attractive kid. And the father had ordered someone to make, do a painting of his son, a large painting of him. Because the son loved, the father loved his son, the son loved the father. Even though people were taken aback when they would see the son out in public because of his appearance. The father loved him. And the day came when the father died and the son had died some years ago due to all of his physical problems and there was an auction of this estate this man was a wealthy man extremely wealthy and a lot of people in society turned out to the auction to put their bid on a bid in on some of the fine articles that were found in that home And the auctioneer said, before we get started, there is special instruction by the former owner of this estate. And he said he wants the first article to be auctioned to be the painting of his son. People took a look at that painting, that unattractive, disfigured, disabled kid. Nobody wants to hang that in their home. And so the auctioneer said, I'll take the first bid. And nobody would bid on it. Nobody, bid, nobody wanted that. What are you going to do with it? And so finally some man said, I'll bid a dollar so we can get this thing going. Nobody else bid. So the man got the painting for a dollar. He took the painting and on the back there was a note attached. <laughs> And he said, before we proceed, I need to read this note. 
Because this is from the former owner of this estate. And he said this in the note. Whoever gets the son gets it all. Your goodness is not enough. Your standing in the community is nothing. It's trash. It's garbage. We got people in this community who think they're really, really something. In God's eyes, it's, right, it's not righteousness. It's rags. It means nothing. What you think you may have attained in the sports arena, it's nothing. Whatever you think you might have in your bank account, it's nothing. Whoever has the Son gets it all. As many as received Him, to them, to those people and those alone, He gives the right to become children of God. Even to those who believe on His name. 30 seconds into eternity, the only question is this. Do you have the Son? And if you got the Son, you get it all. The response of humanity. But there's also the response, not only receiving Jesus, but most people, this is their response, to reject Jesus. The scripture says, whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. Did you notice that the synonym for the word believe is obey? Why is that? Whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life. Why? Why is obey and believe the same Thing. Why, is it, why does it mean the same thing? See, because a lot of people think the word believe just means have information and you're good with it. Okay, I believe that to be true about Jesus. Good. That's not enough. That's, that's theory. You're convinced of a theory. And you've got that in your mind. That's, that's okay. That's good. I mean, that's step one. But faith in Jesus, real faith in Jesus, it turns into obedience. Because see, you're putting your faith, you're putting your belief in a king. So therefore you are bowing to a king. You are giving your all to him. You are giving your loyalty to him. You are bowing and giving your allegiance to him. And so this simply is to believe on Jesus just means this. To give your allegiance to Christ. I give my complete, undying, absolute, unmitigated allegiance to Jesus. Whatever he says, I will do. He is my king. I'm no longer the king of my life. I've been a slave. Now I'm free in Christ. And so I will obey him. If that's not the kind of faith that you want to have in Jesus, then you cannot receive him. You can't welcome a king into your life and then start putting um, stipulations on him about now exactly how your obedience is going to go. So many people do that. They're like, okay, they're going to welcome the king of the universe into their life. And they're like, okay, now Jesus, sit down. And let's go over this list of like what I'm going to do and not do for you. Now, um, let me ask you a question. Do you think, do you, I mean, do you even think that Jesus is interested in that? Of course not. 
But that's what people want to do. And this is why the Bible here says, whoever does not obey the Son, that means they don't give their undying allegiance to Jesus. They're not going to see life. Many of you are going to miss eternity just by the distance between your brain and your heart. You will have known who Jesus is. You will have been good with that. But it never sunk down into your heart to the place where you gave your allegiance to Him to the point that you're willing to obey Him. So, wait a minute, I thought, I didn't think you worked your way to heaven. No, you don't. But once you get heaven in you, you work your way as you get there. It's obedience to Him. Whoever does not obey the Son, does your life, my life, does it show, does it illustrate does it, does it show that we're obedient to Jesus? Now listen. It is true. No Christian is perfectly obedient. Any Christian that says that is perfectly a liar. We're not perfectly. But, but, but nonetheless. The tenor of our life. The direction of our life. Should show obedience to Christ. The response of humanity. What's it going to be for you? Receive Jesus? Or reject Jesus? It's just that simple. Receive him or reject him. See, here's, here's the thing. 30 seconds into eternity. What you have done with Jesus will be the determining factor. And here's something else to think about. 30 seconds into eternity, your experience may very well be determined by the next 30 seconds of your life right now. You see, God has not promised you another breath. He has not promised you another day. Not only that, if He's drawing, pulling on your heart, He's not promised you He'll ever do that again. He may back off and just let your heart harden and you just go your merry way. You don't have those kinds of promises from God. What you have is now. Now is the accepted time. Today is the day of salvation. That's what the scripture tells us. But what will it be for you? Repentance and faith? Or rejection and carelessness? 30 seconds into eternity. Where will you be? Let's pray together. Father. We uh, are so grateful, thankful that you give us the truth, the living truth, the eternal truth. We don't have to go back and edit, update, revise what you've said is true, stands true forever and will never change. And Lord, we recognize today that you're very clear. There's either the retribution of hell or the reward of heaven. And it all depends upon what we do with Jesus. I ask you today, Father, that you would, by your Holy Spirit, take away the cowardice. The cowardly impulse in the hearts of those who need to trust Christ. Lord, would you restrain that in their life today? Would you, in place of that, implant faith? That they would see Jesus as the great treasure knowing that if they get him indeed they get it all and that he is worth giving up everything for every friendship relationship job family location 
anything and everything is worth getting rid of for Jesus. I ask you, Lord, that you would give them that singular thought today. The clutter and care of this world would just fade into the background for a moment. And they would see with clarity, 30 seconds into eternity, may be determined by the next 30 seconds of their life. So, God, would you do that in their life today? And we ask and pray this in the name of Jesus, our Lord and Savior. Amen.